Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 37. It's titled The Compassion of Christ Part 2. If you tuned in yesterday, we covered three out of the five miracles in Matthew chapter 9. Today we're going to continue going over the remaining two miracles that Christ performed in Matthew chapter 9. Those two miracles that are remaining today are Jesus healing two blind men and Jesus healing a man unable to speak. I'll highlight the main verses. These sections are shorter than yesterday, so I'll go over the, the whole section. It's just a couple verses. And then we'll touch on a commentary. I'll say something briefly, and then we'll be done for the day. We'll do that for both miracles. Miracle number one, Jesus heals two blind men. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 31 says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David, when he entered the house. The blind men came to see him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith it be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, so that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. Let's go over um, the commentary from Theophylact of Ored. Uh, we talked about him yesterday. He's an archbishop and scholar. This is what he said. He healed within the house and in private to show us how to avoid vainglory. In everything that he did, he taught humility. Now, a couple things I want to talk about here. How in the world are two blind men going to know that he's the son of David? Because he says, as Jesus passed on from there. Then two blind men followed him. Well, how, are you, how in the world are you supposed to follow some guy? I mean, certain, I, I, I've never... I've never tried to follow anybody with my vision inhibited, but for a person to pass, for two blind men to not only notice, how would you notice who he was if you can't see anything? Did you hear someone say something to him? And then they cried out, have mercy on us, son of David. So it seems like it's almost like they knew exactly who he was. Could be some spiritual intuition, a spiritual nudge. I would imagine, even if your eyes were closed, you could probably feel the power of Jesus Christ. I would imagine something like that. But all of that to me is so interesting and it's so neat that two blind men followed Jesus, asked him to have mercy on them, and called him son of David, all without having any vision. And that's so cool to me. That's so interesting. The other thing I'd like to note is you see a trend of believing in faith paired up here. There's a couple places in Scripture where both pistis and pistuo are used, and we'll get to that. And there, the reason that you see this, this pairing between believing and faith, is because there's really no difference according to the Greek manuscripts. And, and it just has to be said, right? What we read is an English Bible. It is a translation. It's not the original Bible. <clears throat> so, the original Bible is the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. The first translation of the Bible was done by St. Jerome, the patron saint of translation in the Catholic Church, by converting the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts into the Latin Vulgate. Okay? 
So let's talk about believing and faith. So pistuo is believing and pistis is faith. Pistuo is used in the, in the New Testament of the trust and conviction in which a man is impelled by the inner and higher prerogative and the law of the soul. All of that is pretty self-evident, right? Trust, conviction, being urged forward by grace and sanctification and salvation. That's the inner and higher prerogative, right? Holiness, salvation, and grace. That's, that's kind of like the internal and higher prerogative there. Now, the law of the soul... That's the law of Christ and the law of liberty. And we've talked about that a bunch. Uh, law, law of liberty is doing what you should do, not what you want to do. And the law of Christ is it's love, faith, and trying to remember the third one. Forgive me, there's three components of the law of Christ. Faith. Loving God first with all your heart, mind, and soul. There's a third one. Forgive me. I'm sorry. So, those are the two laws that we're under. Law of Christ and law of liberty. Now, to abide in Christ's love, like we've talked about in John chapter 14, what you'll see is Christ telling you to obey His commandments and obey my word, which is Scripture. And so the scholars have interpreted that as all of the New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament, and that includes the Ten Commandments. So that's what believing is and abiding in God's love, the law of Christ and the law of liberty. So let's talk about faith now. Uh, Pistis is used in the New Testament of the conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. Now, when you pair up the dictionary definition of faith and the Greek manuscripts and what they say about it, what you get is a summary of trust in four words. Or excuse me, what, you, what you'll get, I've summarized in four words. It's trust, conviction, action, and obedience. Now, the reason you know obedience is a part of faith is because Paul says it. The purpose of grace is to bring about the apostles. Excuse me, the purpose of grace and apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith. So there's an element of obedience and faith. And I never knew that. I never knew that. And it just blew me away when Paul wrote that. Absolutely blew me away. Let's talk about miracle number two. Jesus heals a man unable to speak. Matthew chapter 9 verse 32 through 34. As they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. <laughs> Excuse me, they're just, they're so ridiculous. All right. Um, let's go over the commentary and then I'll offer my thoughts to you, okay? The following information was taken from the commentary of John Chrysostom, an early church father and archbishop. What can be more foolish than this? For in the first place... As he also says further on, it is impossible that a devil should cast out a devil, for that being is wont to repair what belongs to himself. Not to pull it down, but he did not cast out devils only. He also cleansed leopards, lep excuse me, lepers, raised the dead, curbed the sea, remitted sins, preached the kingdom 
brought people to the Father, those are all things a demon would never either choose or at any time be able to effect. For the devils bring men to idols, withdraw them from God, persuade them to disbelieve the life to come. The devil does not be so kindness when he is insulted, for as much as even when insulted, he harms those that court and honor him. So, nailed it there. I think, totally foolish on the Pharisees' part. A demon's not going to work against Satan's agenda. And that really should be carried over with Christians as well. And they should, we should say that Christians shouldn't work against what Scripture says. But there's just heresy. There's, there's just straight-up heresy in some Protestant evangelical circles. It's the false prosperity gospel. So those people are absolutely working against the kingdom of heaven because they're teaching falsehoods. So either way, it's crazy to me that the conclusions that the Pharisees come to. I truly, when I read it, I see a jealousy. It's like they were used to being the spiritual bigwigs back in the day. And then when the Trinity and flesh showed up and started walking around and kicking the tails of sin and evil... It threatened the legitimacy of the status of the Pharisees. It just seems that way to me. So, miracles are complete. I want to close today with talking about suffering. And we did a little bit yesterday, but this is a different spin. And whenever you see miracles performed, got to balance it, right? I think it's vital to talk about the suffering that was there before the healing of Christ was, the healing by Christ was offered. And, this question is asked all the time. Why do we suffer? If God is good, why do we suffer? And there's two reasons for that. Most, most apologists will tell you it's due to free will and the fall of mankind. But that's really, to me, that's the least. Free will is the least important. It's the lowest resolution answer. And it, you'll understand why. But there are two reasons that we suffer. One is for sure because of free will. But again, I put that as subordinate to this other principle, which is number two, because we are limited creatures. Think about this. What is the relationship between God and humans? And it doesn't matter if you pick, well, it has to be post-fall. So post-fall, post Genesis 4 and on. Now, before you answer that, think about the classic attributes of God. Omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. So omniscience is all-knowing. Omnipotence is all-powerful. And omnipresence is all-present. Now, let me ask you that again. What is the relationship between human beings and the divine classic attributes of God? If God's the unlimited or the unbounded infinite, what does that make us? Well, we have limited level of knowledge, a limited level of power, and a limited presence. So the relationship between human beings and the sacred, which would be Christ, we are the bounded finite in relationship to the unbound infinite. Okay? Now, pause there. Scholars, theologians, and philosophers have, have argued over why God created human beings. 
And some claim that it was because God wanted to experience limitation. Now, before you go on calling me <laughs> um, Nestorius or calling this Nestorianism, just bear with me here, okay? We need to understand... Well, let me, let me back up. The point of that, not to prove whether it's right or wrong that God wanted to experience limitation, the point of that is to be thought-provoking and to offer some potential insight. And it also helps bring us to the answer to our initial question, why we suffer. We suffer because we are limited creatures bound by time and space and natural laws. So if you obviously, if you know Jesus is God, he's not bound by time, space, or natural law. He's outside of time, space, and natural law. He can enter it from time to time, but he's not bound, bound by it. We are bound by it. So think of it this way. If you had unlimited knowledge, forget the omnis, omniscience, or excuse me, the omnipotence and omnipresence. Just focus on omniscience. If you had unlimited knowledge, would you suffer? Well, the answer to that is no. Because if you had unlimited knowledge, you could solve any problem you came across to include death and disease. Okay? So let's run through a meditative exercise. Why is there still cancer? Because, depending on if you're a tinfoil hat wearing joker, and I'm, I'm just being playful, by the way. It depends on how you view that. Either people are hiding a solution or... It just hasn't been discovered yet. So let's not let's not take the cynical side and let's just go with the, the other side. Okay? There's a knowledge issue. Right? Why is there still certain diseases? Why why can't we eradicate viruses? Why is that? It's because we lack knowledge. You don't think Christ could come down and offer a solution for viruses. He's like, oh, guys, here's what you were missing. Doot, 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 doot. And scientists would marvel. They'd be like, oh, my goodness. That's brilliant. It's like, yes, of course it's brilliant. I'm God. Obviously, I created you guys and all this stuff. So here's how you combat that. Right? So it, the knowledge is there. There was a, a, a story of a, a person, a math teacher or a math professor, I believe, had a dream went to heaven to talk to God, wasn't allowed to turn to look at God, but he could ask God any question. And there was a, a formula he couldn't solve. And that was the only question he could think of in the dream. So he asked God what the formula was, and God told him. And he was like, oh, so, gosh, that's so brilliant. So anyways, all of these problems, do you not think if we had some sort of, think about economy, think about the economy, think about food, shelter, clothing, water, all of the things that produce suffering, all of the things. Think about petroleum. If we, if we had unlimited knowledge, we wouldn't need petroleum anymore. We wouldn't even need solar. If we had unlimited knowledge, we wouldn't need solar technology. We wouldn't need nuclear technology. All of these are a consequence of limited knowledge. Now, I'm not saying that man hasn't done a good job being brilliant, but, but, but you got to understand, if we knew everything, we could mitigate all suffering. So the reason we suffer is primarily because we're limited. Free will is in there. Yes, there's evil and malevolence. But again, if we had unlimited knowledge, we could overcome malevolence even. So this is a knowledge issue. This is all this is. We suffer because we are limited creatures primarily. 
Here we need to understand, this is where things get really important. That's just kind of philosophically cool and interesting to play with those ideas, right? Here's what we need to understand that's so vital and important regarding our own suffering. First, we need to understand Christ's sufferings and how that plays a part in our life. So let's talk about Christ first. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I mean, that's just that's suffering. Sorrows and grief and people hiding from you and not respecting you and despised you're despised. That's, that's hell on earth, really, to just have that. Except for the 12 people that follow you, and then there's been this influx of people follow you, and then he loses all his followers at the Bread of Life sermon. So Jesus didn't have, he didn't have an easy time on this planet. It was pretty much hell on earth for him the entire time. I'm sure there were moments of joy with his apostles, but anyways. So let's understand our own sufferings in relationship to Christ's sufferings. Romans 8.17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, if we're going to suffer with him, we're also going to be glorified with him. And if we're going to be glorified with him, then we might as well share in his sufferings, right? 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So our comfort, we, don't ha we have peace of mind regarding the afterlife. I don't fear death. Satan no longer has the power over the fear of death. Because if we live a life of faith, we're accounted for, and Christ has prepared something for us, and that's where the comfort come from, comes from. And when we suffer, we're blessed. And really, truly, the more suffering we experience, the closer Christ draws us to Him, because it makes us like Him. That's all He knew was suffering, for the most part. So, I'm going to leave you today with some hope regarding the sufferings of this world due to our own limitation and the free will of others. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that's, our, that's literally just what we hold on to. It's eternal bliss in some sense. It's eternal harmony. It's eternal fulfillment. It's eternal happiness. There's no pain, suffering, no limitation, no poverty, no starvation, no disease, all of it's gone. This, this hell on earth that people experience will be gone. So let nothing, let nothing destroy the peace and hope of what Christ has prepared for us. And like I mentioned a moment ago, eternal bliss is coming. All you have to do is love God first with all your heart, mind, and soul, and hold on. That's it. Hold on, make it to the end, love God first with all your heart, mind, and soul. If you do this, everything will be restored and he will have prepared something for you that you can't even imagine. That's all we have for today. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.